You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCord. Hello, everyone. Glad you could join us today. We're getting towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. The home stretch. I guess we'll have to start doing Christmas documentaries soon. But for now, we can stick with the weird ones. Which is good because it's dark three quarters of the time now. Mm-hmm. So it's TV watching season. It I feel good is. about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how we lose an hour and sunset goes from like 830 to 530. And I'm like, I don't even know how that math works, but <laughs> it gets dark so right. early. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. So this week we're going to discuss a documentary called Telemarketers. This was done in 2023. It's on the HBO Max. It's three episodes, about three hours total, directed by Sam Lippman Stern and Adam Baloff. Low, we'll say low. And they're cousins. So, mm-hmm. question to you, Erin. Mm. Have you ever done telemarketing? No, somehow, even though I think I was around at the height of telemarketer calls, I never really engaged. I didn't ever have to do that. So, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you had. Yeah, for about a month. And it was just me and one other girl in this office. I think it was more for insurance, like cold calling for insurance. It wasn't necessarily like this at all. We weren't like raising money. It was stupid. It was horrible. It was just her and I at night in this office. And we were teenagers just not really working at all. And it's horrible calling people. So yeah, that didn't last long for me. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at selling people stuff. If they say no, I'm like, all right, thanks. Bye. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. This was really interesting to see. From a caller's point of view, there's quite a bit of that Mm -hmm. in this. And I've heard tell of like, there are scripts and there's like a retort for everything that people say to try to tell you no. And you're just kind of a forceful douchebag to get what you want. (laughs) So, but it it is interesting that there's video and you can kind of see it firsthand instead Mm -hmm. of just kind of hearing about it by the Royal day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, This documentary is essentially Sam, who started recording when he worked for CDG, which stands for, what is it, Civic Development Group. And I want to say, was this in the early 2000s, late 90s? He started working there when he was like 14 or 15. He was like really young, dropped out of high high school, and this was the only place that would hire him. Yeah, I think mid... 2000s is probably pretty fair. This is the first date I have written down is 2010, but I do know they started some shit in 20, uh, seven. Yeah. I was thinking it was earlier than that. And that was just when they kind of started filming in that, but I'm not sure he, yeah, he worked there for like seven years, he said, and Mm -hmm. just crazy. Cause I too am a high school dropout. So I understand that trying to find work and trying to live is difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. but I was, I think at least 18 when I did telemarketing. So Yeah. I mean, this seemed like it was a big employer in their area Mm -hmm. for all kinds of folks. They kind of point out that it might be maybe some employees that might not 
find it easy to get employment elsewhere. And it was a real, uh, the kind of anxiety or the kind of anxiety I had watching some of the footage of what this workplace was, even at that age, I would have been like, no, thanks. I can't do this, but it was chaotic, a really chaotic atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And you, again, they're filming, they're doing videos, which I'm sure was frowned upon. And you see that uh, quite a bit throughout, throughout the documentary. I think it's so funny because you're right. They they talked to a bunch of people who were former employees. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go through all of them. A lot of them had criminal records and had been convicted. I'm not going to say they're criminals. I don't know their history. I don't know what happened. But they mm-hmm. had a record, which makes it difficult for them to find yes. employment a lot of places, right? Anyway, yeah. So what you have going on here is also an extension of that. So you have people who are uh, doing drugs you have people selling drugs, you have people having sex, probably selling sex, good for them. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of things that are not really legal were being carried out while working. Mm -hmm. And really the deal was, as long as you hit your quota, Mm -hmm. they didn't care. Right. So sometimes I think when we work in places and there's a quota system, if you have like a couple hours, like you've met everything, your plan is the employees to fuck around for a little while. Um, your employer's like, well, you know, this is only a really important number. If you don't hit it, like if you do hit it, we still can you right. know, expect you to work. And it's sort of funny to see that this is kind of the opposite. And it, they talk to a lot of managers. So it's not only, you know, people <laughs> making the calls, it's managers who I assume used to be active callers and they just kind of, you know, went up in the food chain a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, what are these telemarketers specifically calling for? It's representing the fraternal order of police in various combinations, right? So uh, different states, um, sometimes they have different names that might not say FOP on it. It might be like retired police fund or retired fighter fighter fund. But it's always kind of based on those kind of folks that are Quoty fingers, public servants, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So charitable organizations, they are fundraising there you go. for charitable organizations. Cause sometimes they even were like, Oh, the cancer fund of X, Y, Z or the veterans mm-hmm. fund or whatever. And so they make these calls. They have scripts. They show you these videos. These videos are so good of the chaos, but they also show the scripts, the rebuttals. So they would go through these scripts And anytime someone's like, well, I don't have this. Well, what about this? Or I did that. Well, what about this? Like they had an answer for everything. It was so right. It's really aggressive sales tactics. Mm -hmm. Um, They're really, again, not taking no for an answer. And we've all learned that consent is important um, (laughs) in most circumstances. And I think that as a, a person that's got, functional, you know, cognition of a lot of stuff. Even I think it's hard to not say yes, because it's intimidating when people are like, can't you just do $5? I just want $5 or whatever. And you're just like, oh, fine. Yep. So as a side note, do you know, one of the ways that I don't feel bad. So like when you go to CVS or something and you're checking out and it's like, would you like to give $2 to the diabetes fund or any money to whatever hard fund? And they make you feel bad about it a little bit, but now it's just on the screen. But also CBS was just had a big lawsuit that they were taking that money and not giving it to anybody. And they still have the audacity to ask for people to give them money for these charities. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done with all of you. So 
I don't feel so bad. Yeah. And of course it comes up around holiday season because they're, they're kind of targeting people's goodwill, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when we start this, these people are calling, the telemarketers are calling, saying they're calling on behalf of the Fraternal Order of Police, the disabled police, the fallen officers, blah, 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 blah. On behalf of, they could not be police officers themselves. They were not part of these organizations. And also when asked, they had to tell them how much money went to these charities versus how much was kept. Now, at least initially, 10% of the money they were taking in was going towards the charity itself. 90% is kept in-house. Okay, some of that is paying overhead for office buildings and employees and things like that. Agreed. There are legitimate expenses here. Correct. Correct. Okay. (laughs) Not all of that is legitimate, but yes. Right. And again, this wasn't something that was volunteered in the spiel. This is only specifically if people are asking mm-hmm. the questions. And I assume it's in the right phrasing. So kind of like in Labyrinth. So, <laughs> Right. I think some one person said, well, 10% of something is better than 100% of nothing. Like, okay, well, yes, but. Yeah, that seemed to be the CDG motto because I'm sure that the employees had some awareness and it felt like a scam what they were doing, especially I think when you talk to people who didn't really have money to give and you still had to twist the knife and stuff like that. I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, that would wear on people. Well, they tend to, things like this tend to prey on and work best with the elderly. And those people are generally on a fixed income and do not have money to spare, which is so horrible when you think about it, but whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it starts off and you sort of get a slimy feeling about the whole thing. But we do meet Pat, who is a legend of telemarketing. This is Patrick J. Paspas. And his speaking voice, like when he turns it on, is amazing. And he's got the touch to talk to people. And I really liked that about him. Um, He's very gregarious. He's kind of a big character. And he's well known in the telemarketing world. Um, Everybody loves him. Now, he's not a person that doesn't have some struggles and some demons of his own. Um, He talks a lot about addiction in this, but he's still, again, really functional, able to meet the quotas that he's set. Um, And I think there's probably a sliding scale, like a newbie, maybe you don't have so much. And then Patrick has all of it. I'm not really sure what the breakdown was there, but Um, He's a big part of this, along with Sam. They're kind of the masterminds of doing this documentary and kind of where the roots of it, you know, sprang from. Uh, One of the things I love is every time he introduces himself, it's Patrick J. Paspas. It's always his full name. I'm surprised he doesn't put the whole like middle name in there too, but it's Patrick J. Paspas. And that cracks me up every time. And it's kind of like what I think about authors, right? That middle initial kind of... uh, there's significance in that. Like you're confident when you deliver that it just gives you some more clout. And they discuss in here, while they couldn't specifically say that they were policemen, they did have training that asked them to project uh, like a cop authoritarian voice. Um, So again, it kind of makes people assume, Mm -hmm. you know, some things and they're not telling them directly, but, you know, kind of leveraging some of that. Right. Yeah. He's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yes. 
I love him. I do too. So they do understand that what they're doing is pretty shady. And like you said, it's really Pat that was like, you need to start filming. You need to start filming this stuff. Follow me around. He wanted to be in it. He wanted to be part of it. And so they started filming it in CDG and putting them on YouTube. Just And they had like, what do you say? Like a hundred people had seen these. I mean, there was, no one was looking at them, but they were there. Right. And it was the ridiculous stuff like uh, chair races and just crazy shit. I mean, again, the, the workplace atmosphere was carnival-like. And that's probably a, a nice way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And they talk about the owners. So they, behind CDG, there are two sets of brothers. So you have the Keezers and the Pashes. David Keezer and Mark Keezer, Brian Pash, Glenn Pash, and Steve Pash. And one of my favorite things is that one of them was in a Christian rock band with a guy from Spin Doctors. <laughs> That's so fucking random. <laughs> And they show you an infomercial to get, like, that would have been playing to buy their shitty CDs. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just transports you right back. <laughs> to when that was the thing. I was like, yeah. are they going to sell me some gold coins next? Like, what's yes. happening? Oh, my God. And it's apparently, glorious. when these guys started, they started in the garage. And they were collecting for, like, Christian organization or Christian charity, which had the initials. C-A-S-H. And so they would ask people to make their checks, their donation checks out to C-A-S-H. And I thought that's fucking brilliant. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the worst way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently they started off being like, yeah, we're totally cops. This is like early mid nineties. They were like, we're totally cops. We're totally firemen raising money for them, but they got in trouble for it. And so, they would get a little bit of a fine and they get back to it, tweak it a little bit, go back in, change stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the fines they were getting were so, uh, you know, like $30,000 when you're bringing in millions of dollars, that's nothing. Why not continue to do it? Right. It's kind of like in name only a slap on the wrist. And then what they would do is change their organization name, like, CDG might die and come back as some other three initial, mm-hmm. you know, monster. Yeah. Yeah. Every couple of years, new attorney general would come after them. Same shit, same fine. <laughs> they would just keep on going. I think it's interesting because there was some innovation that they discussed in here, like kind of predictive numbers. So if you are a person who gave previously, they're aware of that. They're tracking. You're kind of a known entity. So the next time they made the phone call to you, last time, you know, you gave 50 bucks and now they're trying to get you up to $75 or whatever. So they're a little bit more informed and it's not quite as anonymous as you as a caller might be led to believe. And I thought, well, that's tricky, but also it is clever. So it's just interesting to see, again, those behind the scenes bits that made this so effective. Well, and it makes sense because if you give one time to one organization, then every single other one is calling you for money. And it makes sense because now they know you'll pay and it's the same company calling you for all of those organizations. It's not a different companies. They're not selling the list. They've just moved on to a new script. 
and they will call and call and call and call. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's bad. You like a few characters in this, but overall it it's really a bummer. Like kind of a, it's hard watch to watch some of this stuff because there are people on the phone and you can tell that they're elderly or they're not really willing to, you know, it doesn't end there. It's just pressure, mm-hmm. pressure, pressure. And that's hard to hear. It is. But I mean, the business strategy is brilliant. This is capitalism at its fucking finest. They take you in for something you think they think is good, right? You're supporting the police, you're supporting the firefighters, you're supporting disabled veterans or whatever. And you feel obligated to support these things. And they're keeping so much of the money of it. And then they're opening up these centers in kind of depressed areas too and offering jobs, right? So these jobs get filled. So on one hand, on one hand, they are doing a good service to the extent they're hiring people that would not be able to work otherwise, maybe, and bringing that economy into these neighborhoods. But they're doing some shady, shady shit to do it. Really, they are. And I find it interesting, and tell me your opinion on this. Why are we having drives for fallen officers' families? Why are we having drives for uh, bulletproof vests? Like, isn't that standard issue? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's mm-hmm. funny to think about. These, these are somewhat government funded. Somewhat. They are. We pay for yeah. that already. You know what I the mean? The police funds get so much more money than, say, education or social programs that, oh, yeah, I absolutely do not donate to them for that reason. If nothing else, I mean, now, obviously, you see, it's all a scam. But, yeah, no, you get enough of my money. Well, especially since, like, Veterans Day was five minutes ago and you're kind of inundated with like veterans, veterans, veterans. And I don't have a problem with individual veterans, but I do have a problem to understand why the public is being asked to support injured veterans. Like, well, my biggest issue is you have all government, but the Republican party is real good about saying you hate our veterans and you want, you want to bring in immigrants and our veterans are homeless. And I'm like, why aren't you helping them then? Why aren't right. you What's your responsibility them? here? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've done nothing to help any of these situations. So shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. So that's my small mm-hmm. tirade. I think at least for this. So, <laughs> Right. So we do have a guy named Alan who squeals on the YouTube videos. And so Sam has to take those down. So kind of thanks for ruining the party. And this was not like bringing heat on CDG at any point point it wasn't really like that but they didn't like that it was out there Mm -hmm. and so he had to take it down Mm -hmm. and actually he ended up getting fired but that turned out to be a good thing for us because he was able to concentrate on his research right because pat was still going to be his inside man yep yep patrick j pespas he was still the inside guy yeah yeah And they probably didn't want to lose him because he was a big, he was cash cow, right? Like he was doing a great job. Mm -hmm. So it seems that our friends, Sam and Pat, aren't the only people who have um, eyes on this situation because there is a story that comes out of Salt Lake City about a lady who kind of challenged some of those, um, like she said no to a call uh, from a telemarketer. And then they left her this horrible message And I was like, that's really fucking stupid because it's on tape now. And I was just like, it's fascinating that 
she had the nerve to say no and they had the nerve to be that dumb. So, well, they're not, they're not necessarily hiring the smartest people, <laughs> but you also feel somewhat, it's kind of like bullying on the internet, right? You have mm-hmm. that degree of anonymity that you feel safe in saying horrible things. And it was probably the same. Mm-hmm. And I know creditors have been called out for it a lot when they call and they like, well, we're going to have the police there in five minutes if you don't pay us right now. And it's like, right. Do we still have debtors prison? Is that what is happening here? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Terrifying. So some of these things kind of coalesce with a federal trade commission investigation mm-hmm. into CDG. And from the caller's perspective, there are a lot of rampant rumors that they're about to be shut down. And then it seems that that's happening, right? So they do get shut down. What had kind of prompted this to to go further than the general, here's a fine, stop doing bad stuff, is they kind of changed their business model, right? So they went from, we are representing these companies, we're calling on behalf of these companies, to saying they became professional management consultants. They were no longer telemarketers. And the scripts were changed, so they were part of the fraternal order of police. Um, they could use terms like we and us, and um, then they also were saying things like 100% of your donations go straight to this fund. And so it was it was much more fraudulent, because before it was shady, but at least they were up front. We were calling on behalf of, 10% goes to them, and that was right. Now they're like, oh no, totally. But their their donations skyrocketed. Like they went from like fifty million to two hundred and fifty million. It was something stupid. I, I have them written down somewhere, but it was stupid numbers, right? Right, because again, for a host of reasons, people are motivated to del- to donate to these because you get those stupid decals. <laughs> right, the stickers the stickers you think are going to protect you from getting a speeding ticket. Right. Because if somebody, uh, you know, the policeman looks and they're like, oh, well, you're donating. I guess it doesn't matter that you're going 75 and a 25. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye so, out for the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there are, they really discuss several other reasons that people might donate. I think there are immigrants who are worried about, you know, saying no to the police. I think that mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what are the other ones I wrote down. Well, that was, um, yeah, when the other companies Mm -hmm. really targeted businesses because you get much larger donations. And so if you target immigrant-owned businesses, they felt like they were paying for protection from the police. And I'm like, why are you having to pay for protection from the police? This is, it's like roadhouse out here. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. So again, it's just, it's difficult to listen to how this was played and this these were all known things mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so in 2009 december 2nd of 2009 hr is like hey this, this is getting shut down and they're like oh our office but we're doing great and they're like nope whole company we're shutting everything down the ftc was having no part of it they had people come take all the cabinets all the paperwork all the desks everything they sued, the FTC sued CDG 
and CDG agreed to pay 19 million. But again, if they're making 250 million, what's that's less than 10%. Right. It sounds like a lot. Yeah. But it's really not. Yeah. When you consider that they're supposed to hand over their assets, we had multi-million dollar homes. There were fine works of art, Aaron. There were Van Goghs and Picassos. And uh, there was a million dollar guitar collection and a bunch of cars. And then they had a big wine selection, like fine wines. Like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of wine. Yes, half a million or whatever. Excessive. And I'm like, I assume the guy that had all the guitars was the sad Christian rock band guy. They don't necessarily spell that out, but I just think it's really funny. But the paintings, I'm like, could she be more douchey? Like, it's just yeah. so funny. Too. I own a Van Gogh. I know. What was really interesting to me is two of the owners. So remember, there were like five. Mm-hmm. Two must have been the front men because mm-hmm. one from each set of siblings were banned from telemarketing for life. Okay. That's such a weird thing, but. And how do we enforce this? Like, is there, is there a list? Do you, do you just explode? Do they put a collar on you? Yes. You know, the minute you pick up a phone. <laughs> it sounds great. But what is the, what is the functionality here? What's the logistics? This is the restraining order of business is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Sounds great. We know that that's locked tight situations, those restraining orders. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is we find out later that they shut down in December of 2009. And by January, they were up again as a new company. So don't you fret. They're going to be all right. Well, somebody's going to make those CDs for Jay Henry, which is Scott Pasha's shitty band. So, and you know, he was, again, using that fallen officer's money to make those CDs. I'm just saying. At least it could have been good music, right? I agree. Mm-hmm. So bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, Striper at least was on the radio. <laughs> Striper. <laughs> Keeping it for Jesus. Love that. <laughs> I do love that Sam and Pat, after they kind of hear that the old gang is back together, right? They're calling around again. They go Michael Moore style. And I was like, I guess he would have been big at the time. Like he definitely held a, a piece of the documentary pie. And maybe he still does. He was just like, you know, I've done enough investigating and uncovered a lot of horrible shit. I'm going to take a break and let the youths take over. But it was really funny because I was like, I haven't heard that name in a while. And we've been doing a lot of documentaries. <laughs> I've just Facts. Heard of Mike Moore. Yeah. It's just silly. Yeah. I haven't I haven't seen a Mike Moore documentary in a while. I think he's done some recently mm-hmm. too. I'll have to look. I don't care enough really. <laughs> totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that Pat seems to be doing well after, you know, it's a couple years later. He's thriving, working at some Chinese restaurant. They're kind of resigned that the investigation is over, right? Yeah, this happens over a really long time frame. And it's interesting to see they're not professionals. They're just basically two guys <laughs> trying to get something done. They don't really have any education for this. They don't know anybody in this industry. It's just like, well, we'll just see what we can do. So they're learning along the way. And also, like, 
working and living their lives. And I can identify with that. Like you don't have all the time in the world to do, you know, your hobbies and your passion. You have to like also feed the kids. So it's just kind of funny to hear um, some of that, but they do have good friends along the way that point them in the right direction. So to me, the next big thing that comes up is they talk to quotey fingers, Jeff, <laughs> most menacing of fake names. Yeah. And he is a telemarketer CEO, like a, like a former one. Well, I guess he's eventually he's former, but he starts off, um, but he's current and he's all digitized and weird voiced. Mm-hmm. So, and he, yeah, he kind of explains that CDG was the one who started all of this, the way that they branched out, the way that they developed just whatever they were doing. Apparently words mm-hmm. are not my thing today. Dude, me neither. <laughs> I, he's going to have to cut so much stuff to make me sound like I'm coherent at all. <laughs> this this episode's going to be like, this was good. Thanks. Bye, guys. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, CDG kind of starts it off and everyone else follows this model. It's an extremely successful, (laughs) that's the word. (laughs) We're going to have to start drinking before we do this. (laughs) That can only help at this point. I agree. I agree. And so, so yeah, they all kind of followed that model. Pat said he almost went to work for Jeff. I don't recall why he didn't. I just have that comment in there. I wish I knew a little bit more. Um, So some things that stuck out to me about the Jeff interview is he starts talking about the contracts with the police. And it took me forever to understand what this was. But it seems to me, in summary, the police, the, uh, the Fraternal Order of Police Lodges, the local lodges, the state lodges, are aware that uh, these fundraising organizations exist and you can go and sign a contract with said CDGs or whatever. And the standard contract is what you had discussed before. Like they get 10% of the profits that are raised in their name and the company itself, the fundraising company gets to keep 90%. Now, why would they do that, Aaron? What is the benefit to getting such a low amount of the proceeds? Well, there's, there's a lot of benefits, actually. It takes nothing on their part to sign a piece of paper and then they're hands off. Someone else does all the work. And so having that manpower to do actual work versus using your manpower to make calls and make donations, the money that can be, fuck, I have no words today, funded, the money that they can get through telemarketing donations is exponentially larger than they would get if they were to do it themselves. So even 10% is a lot better than what they would get doing it themselves. Right. There's high return on investment, right? Because there's, well, there's no, no investment. investment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think as we hear of these scamming, like these scandals that come up with these different fundraising organizations, that's not right. Like the, the telemarketing companies, we never hear that there's been any, uh, there's been any consequences for the FOP. We never hear about that. And I think there's kind of a perception among the callers that they've also been victimized. 
And that is so clever in my opinion, but it's Jeff that kind of blows the whistle on that to say they are well aware the fuck is going on in here. And even to the point that they approve some of the scripts that these telemarketers are using to drag the money out of you, uh, you know. So that's kind of, yeah, that's what Pat and Sam are trying to determine. Why aren't these organizations being held accountable? So they start looking Mm -hmm. into these organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Going and looking them up online and seeing what they can find. And Mm -hmm. they find this place called charitynavigator.org. And they're able to go look and say, okay, these are legitimate charitable organizations, but they have like the worst rankings ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a list. And I think that's so brilliant because I think the 2000s, the 20 aughts were made for lists on the internet. Like that was the time of lists. So listicles, if you will. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, This might be one of my favorite parts of the whole documentary because Pat, so they're going to, they're going to start doing investigative journalism right? Sam and Pat. Pat's going to be the interviewer. So he goes in to interview Ken Berger, who works for Mm charitynavigator.org. Pat is sitting there with the tiniest sunglasses you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) And he's just got his phone with questions on it, right? Like instead Uh of having a notepad or something, he's got his phone because he's hip and happening. Um, Right. And he's just so bad at it. And it cracked me up so much really gave me some confidence in case I ever have to interview somebody. And I was like, oh, yes, you can get on HBO and still have. Yes. A, and this, yeah. A, this was his first. New interview. Yeah, yeah. This is his first one, though. So we got to give him some leeway. But my favorite was the comment afterwards. Sam was like, it never occurred to me that he would not be good at this. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so passionate. We just let him keep going. And I love that. That's a true friendship. But I will say... Mr. Berger tolerates it really well. He's very informed and it's really interesting as he comes and tells us a little bit about that. It's easy to start a nonprofit. There's very light regulation. We currently are at the time of had about 2 million active nonprofits and what a giant force they were in our economy. So it's 10% of GDP. It's one out of every 10 jobs and it's a $2 trillion um, part, I mean, that's what they make. It's the, there's a word for that. And now it's my turn. So I guess we must be trading. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Riley. <laughs> $2 trillion industry. Thank you. Jesus H. Okay. It's probably not usable. We're going to leave it as is. Uh, the Hold good on. And bad, the Hold ugly. on. Let me just, let me just go ahead and cement this. <laughs> Oh my God, so good. He's, he's on fall break. No, Thanksgiving break this week. He's my skizzy. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one thing I'll note about this interview. Do you know what was so fucking distracting? Oh boy. I don't. The fingerprints all over his cabinets behind him. It was like a struggle <laughs> had happened. And I'm like, I know that's just me, but the minute they put that light on him, I was like, oh, that's glaring. It just, just wipe it down real quick before you interview in your office. That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, guys don't pay attention to shit like that. So it was distracting for me. But yeah, 
according to Ken, they, there should be more regulations. And, you know, anyone who becomes a millionaire on the backs of charities that are supposed to provide a public good is a bottom dweller. And I thought, well, they don't fucking care. They're living their life with their fine art, you know? Right. But I think he's probably seen the worst of the worst with his nudist colony and Ghostbusters. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, let's be honest. Um, I was like, what kind of Ghostbusters? Is it like Ghostbusters fans of, you know, the Dan Aykroyd version or these like paranormal people, Zach Baggins style? Oh, I yeah. really had some questions. Yeah. We should look into that. I'm not giving money mm-hmm. to either, to be honest, but I still <laughs> no. want to look into it. <laughs> Uh, so who do they interview next? Uh, possibly my best and favorite name of this whole documentary, a man named Bennett Weiner. Poor guy. And he's from the Better Business Bureau. Shit. Yes. The BBB. Better, okay, Better Business, Business Bureau. Bureau. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of talks about the roots of telemarketing came around in the 50s. I guess when everybody got a phone, because it doesn't take people long to figure out how you can scam people. And this is kind of, again, where we find out the police are content to contract with the telemarketing firms for 20% of profit, as specifically was mentioned here, because they don't have to do anything with it. So that's nice to have that. But then we start to talk about the police circuses. They're so bad, guys. They're so bad. Like the pictures they show from back in the day look like they could have been pretty cool. Like right. Ringling, brother, yes. Ringling Brothers, right? And mm-hmm. there's like seals with a ball on their nose and mm-hmm. people jumping through hoops of fire or whatever. Mistreatment so of animals what, galore, yes. I know, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but whimsical mm-hmm. on the poster. It seems like now when you go, it's like bad magicians and a lady's dog that does tricks. Which I'm like, that's such a bummer because that dog probably really worked hard to get there. Mm-hmm. But it is the most disappointing circus I've ever seen. I The fact that they can call themselves the circus, like just, uh, just be a variety show or something. It's in an auditorium on a stage. The only performer that was any good was the juggler. It was so bad. So what they do, this whole thing is they're like, hey, these are retired police officers is my understanding. That might not be true, but, and they're like, why don't you buy tickets? And so they're selling you tickets to go see this show and buy blocks of tickets for this, that, or the other and supporting the kids, supporting the kids. I don't know. The way I understood it was that they sold, they sold blocks of tickets and the tickets went to the underprivileged kids and the kids got to go to the circus. Oh. That's how I understood it. I thought they were selling the tickets for the people to go. And then the money was going to help the kids. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's a bad system either way. Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> yes. I love that we uh, focus on the like worst details. The minutia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it was really bad. They go to, well, two things. One. Pat used to do fundraising for a police circus. Of mm-hmm. course he fucking did because he's a rock star. He's a legend, as legend. they say. And two, they did get to talk to, they're like, are you like the owner, the what? He's like, I'm the manager. And I'm like, ooh, the manager of the circus? No, he's the manager of the promotion company. 
with absolutely zero information about anything. He knows nothing. But they do get a flyer mm-hmm. for the circus. And in the fine print, it says, this is not a fundraising event, mm-hmm. which is what it's been marketed as. So again, we find a discrepancy, which shocks no one. But in writing, it's true. So CYA, I guess. Right? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. It's kind of like Millie Vanilli not being listed as singers. They weren't lying. That's true. But I liked them a lot more. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, we talked about CDG got shut down and then immediately reopened in like January. Within So like within a month they were reopened. But they reopened under the name RPI, Residential Programs, Inc. And I love how Pat's like, I thought they weren't allowed to be in telemarketing anymore. He's like, oh, no, no, that's the other brother. This brother was behind the scenes. It has no restrictions. So he opened it then. That's pretty smart. So, yeah, it is, unfortunately. Very smart. Seems like it took a couple of years for them to get back in the good graces of the FOPs that they had worked with before. But, it, I mean, really, a couple years in the kind of the long terms, nothing. It's, uh, it's really not. So, yeah, they had to start slow, but they get back all the businesses that they had before because it's a good deal for everybody except the people that they call and uh, whoever's on the end of the fundraiser. Well, and they they kind of change the way they do stuff. They end up making it remote. So they're all about the remote work before it became popular during COVID. Because think of how much money they save. They don't have to have office buildings now. They don't have to have overhead. So that's just more money in their pocket. It's fucking brilliant. And so they kind of put together a team of the best telemarketers in the country, all over the country. We talked to some people from Jeff's company. He allows them to interview some of his people because he was very much like, yeah, I totally followed suit. As soon as everyone was remote, I did the same thing. It's fucking brilliant, right? Uh, One of the people we meet is Tom Bailiff. And I got to tell you, he doesn't seem exactly stable, in my opinion. He's terrifying. The minute you hang up on him, he's calling you everything, cussing you out. Now, it's not to your face, obviously, because you've hung up on him. But the minute you say no, like he cannot take no for an answer politely. So I'm pretty sure any woman he's dated, that's ended badly for her. Potentially real badly because he was, yeah, in jail for years and years and years for murder, which I think you've already said. But nonetheless, as their number one caller, they kind of made a sweet, sweet deal for him and he continues to perform and Jesus Christ. Um, he seems, he seems like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Um, Shem is the other one, William Shem Cooper. He had 20 million other names. Um, okay. That seems weird, but whatever. He sure. Just uses yeah, whatever name. Um, but let me tell you, this guy, he's something else, man. So he, he really focuses on the businesses and not the individuals. So he was, they were walking down the sidewalk and he sees a number for a business on the side of a truck. Doesn't know what this business is, just sees a number. So he picks up a cell phone and just calls him and starts trying to get money. And it's fucking brilliant. This guy's a genius. So good. Yeah. The turning on of the charm or the voice, um, is pretty amazing. And he's just walking like right by the truck. There's not, I, I'm like, there's no street noise. 
I mean, what there was phone is that at one point there was a siren and he's like, well, you know, that makes sense. Cause he's a cop. He also said that like when he's home, he has like a police scanner he'll have there next to him. So it sounds like he's in like the precinct or something. Right. Right. It was, it was so weird to watch that in real time. Yeah. It, and there's a lot of drug use in this, by the way, if you are sensitive to that, be aware. So for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, and and Jeff said, if you want, if you want a good salesman, hire a crackhead. He's like, no one can talk you out of your money better than an addict. And I thought they don't seem like they'd be the most reliable. But then again, if you can work whenever you want, like he was, it's not like he was at home logged into a system. He was walking down the street and mm-hmm. on his cell phone, so. I mean, there must be something working for both of them in that case because he was featured, if if nothing else. So, yeah, it's crazy. So we do hear that one telemarketer was kind of, I don't know if he's arrested or what happened. I can't remember what happened, but he was caught by the police. Yeah, one of Jeff's guys got in trouble for being stupid. Shocker, again. And he was calling on behalf of the Garden State Law Enforcement Officers Association. So I guess the longer your name, the more believable it is. And we get this story from a guy named Robert Rowan, and he's a Clifton, New Jersey police officer. He's at the police department. So, but the scam goes that there was a doctor that was called. And the pitch was, if you would give us $10,000, you will be the Quotey Fingers cardiologist for the police department. And the guy's like, what? Say what? Um, So it's just really strange and kind of tips him off and he contacts the police about it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the police are like, that's not us. We have nothing to do with that. Right. And the guy says, well, let me talk to your, um, let me let you talk to my captain. Uh, There are names. And then the doctor follows up, uh, which I guess no one has ever done in the history of telemarketing. (laughs) And that's sort of how, yeah, they unravel a little bit more of this mystery. Right. They sent cops to the house. I, I don't know if anyone really got in trouble. They talk about, there was a retired sergeant who was telling people he was still active duty. There's this whole thing. I didn't really get all of it, but um, no one really, I think got in trouble for this. And detective Rome was like, these organizations are operating just on the border of illegality. So it's really hard to convict cases like this. I think this is a good example of the fact that the police are involved. They're culpable in several of these instances because that guy was again, um, I have his name as Robert Grease um, or Grease. And again, saying that he was active. Um, he's evidently an executive for the New Year, <laughs> the New Jersey State FOP. But yeah, just kind of endorsing things, probably ought not to endorse as a public servant. <laughs> just saying. Right. And mm-hmm. he didn't respond when they tried to get a hold of him. Course. They mm-hmm. try to get a hold of Chuck Canterbury, who's the president of the National FOP. 
he responds, like he doesn't interview, but he does respond to their emails saying the national FOP has never utilized professional fundraisers who conduct telephone campaigns. And also acknowledges that state lodges do, but they can't control that, I guess. Which is, I think, one of the first examples that we see that they're just like, not it, not our problem. Again, no responsibility taken for the larger issues going on here, which is exactly what I would expect, honestly. Right. And, you know, they make a good point. No one's going to blame the police. I mean, like you said, they're just going to, people are going to assume they are also a victim of the scam and they're not going to blame them. And even if they do get blamed, because we do have one cat trying to bring down the FOPs, that's our friend, Reverend James Tranquil. Yeah. With the website Badge Fraud, Mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome. And he seems like a really cool cat. Um, Pretty outspoken about some of his beef with the different organizations, right? Yeah, it sounds like what happened was, is these people tried to scam some of his church members. And he was like, Mm -hmm. no, that's where I stop. Yeah. Hands off my flock, yo. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so Sam finds the website and sees that his CDG videos from YouTube are right on the front page. So he emails the good Reverend to which he gets the response. I've been expecting you. Right. (laughs) How cryptic and weird is that? I know. I'd have been like, I don't know if we should meet this person or not. That's just so weird. Right. Because obviously the Rev can see that Sam is the, like the video maker, right? He's probably even in it um, in some of those videos. So that makes sense to me that he's a known entity to the Rev, right? I also really like Reverend James because he talks about the FOP is a social club. It's a union for the police. It's not necessarily what it's marketed to the public as, right? So a lot of times these fundraisers fund like money that goes to lobbyists, different conventions, like fishing trips or amusement park things. It's not necessarily stuff that's going to, you know, families that need it bulletproof vests right not to widows or whatever Mm -hmm. you know and I think the public would feel very differently about it if they understood what the FOP actually was and how they're using that money so not only do we find out I, I just think it's really interesting because all I know is they have um when I see an FOP it's like a sign a gate and like it looks like a lodge and maybe a shooting range behind it. Like, I don't know what's going on back there. I assume rituals of some sort. Oh, if only. Mm. It'd be a lot cooler if it was. <laughs> yeah. They, they have a scandal in Chicago where they're, they were fundraising for disabled cops and fallen officers and that. And, you see widows of fallen officers getting called, asked for money to support widows of fallen officers. And they're like, bitch, we are widows of fallen officers and no one gave us a dime. So, and these disabled officers who have been shot in the line of duty or whatever also are like, we're getting nothing. So they're using their images. They're using these stories to earn money. It's not even earning. That's loosely to get money and not giving it to the 
people it's, it's going into the general fund for the FOP which like you said is used for like parties and golf outings and limos for visiting officers and right and if the officers families have already in, like gotten their payout whatever they're going to get it's not like they retroactively go back and like once we use your story we're going to shore up with you um it's just playing on people's sympathies for these stories and um you know duping everybody and it's just gross so it is gross that everyone is everyone is getting fucked and no one has been called pretty beforehand so i do like the point is made here that money from fundraising like the more that you contribute isn't used locally and it doesn't really contribute to safer streets which is also a common thing that you will hear um which is another one of those little pressury tactics tactics that kind of go along with well don't you want the police to be well funded in your area so they can be like tougher on crime or whatever but that's not really again that's, that's what your thing. tax dollars are for your tax <laughs> yes. dollars are already paying for that you're just paying mm-hmm. for these officers to enjoy themselves off hours i guess right better phrase right. mm-hmm um, we find out, other than the FOP, there is also a Police Benevolent Association, PBA. So apparently the FOP is more management and the PBA is more like regular officers and shit. And they're rivals. There was not a single gang fight on this. So I'm disappointed. But they don't so like disappointed. each other. Right? Mm-hmm. But they go interview the... <laughs> they go interview uh, John Hulse who was the VP of PBA, they're like, oh, he's going to talk shit about the FOP. And he absolutely fucking did. <laughs> oh, he just took the bait bigger than shit. And Pat's in the background with a big smile. And he's like, got him. I know. And I the guy has the fucking nerve to be like, I don't want to keep shitting on the FOP, but did you hear this tasty goss? I mean, it's so dumb. But they do get a couple good tidbits out of it. We find that... Old John has a flyer for the New Jersey FOP that they are looking for people to work at CDG as telemarketers, which is weird. I just have a lot of questions on, on the thought behind that. The only thing I could think of is part-time work off hours because cops don't get paid very well, honestly. Um, and also it legitimizes them saying they're police officers calling for money, right? If they have actual police officers on site whether or not that's you you're next to one and so by association i'm sure i guess mm. but it's it's funny to see that they're like we don't we don't you know we are really victims also and here kind of conversely we're seeing that they're actively doing recruiting which would insinuate that they're more in bed with the cdg than what they've all been saying which we find out is true when they look into the mm-hmm. documents the government's evidence for the CDG case. So they find mm-hmm. emails with, it was the Indiana FOP. God, we're so proud. <laughs> that came up with the consultant. Consultant. Yeah. The consultant model to mm-hmm. say that, Oh, we mm-hmm. are a part of the police and a hundred percent of the donations go here. So it was their mm-hmm. idea. They helped work with the script. And then you find from other uh, state FOPs, that they also were like, yeah, we totally want to do this consultant model. We totally want to tell people 100% of money because maybe we'll get more donations. People are hanging up too soon. We need to keep them on the line to get more donations. So they are just as complicit 
a CDG. Even down to, yeah, emails that show that the scripts have been approved. Like they have mm-hmm. no qualms whatsoever with um, mm-hmm. the callers saying that they're cops, which is, I always think about it like doctors. Like they don't want anybody uh, impersonating a cop until you're on the phone. Getting money for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. So they decide to call David Vladek, who is the director of the Federal Trade Commission, at least between 2009 and 2012. He was the one who took CDG down and he agreed to meet them. But then we lose Pat. Right. Um, He just kind of dips out for a while and Sam is pretty concerned. Not to fear, though, I think Pat just got into a bad place and he didn't really want to talk. He wasn't completely absent but it took sam a long time to like find him and get him to kind of come around to talking again but yeah a bit of a cliffhanger on the end of season two or episode two i know when i have to tell you i was concerned because the beginning the everyone is talking about pat like past tense and i'm like oh mm-hmm. bitch if you kill pat i'm like so mad that i watched this documentary and pat didn't make it <laughs> i might not have watched the last episode honestly well, he's kind of the heart of this whole thing. Like yes. the others are lovely, but mm-hmm. Pat is really the one that draws you in, which I think was what makes him a great um, sales person on the phone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he does talk about where he's been. He went to treatment. He found Jesus, which is fine, but he decided he really wants to get started again. Um, he's ready and he's a place of, you know, it's been like eight years and he's, he wants to kind of move forward again. Sam had kind of given up and moved on, right? He was just wanting to keep up with Pat and see how he was doing. And Pat's like, let's do this. Also, his wife had gotten cancer. His wife, Sue, who's lovely and they seem so sweet together. I love them so much. Um, but she had got cancer and she had to do chemo and radiation, which is so hard in your body, but she was in remission and she seemed to be doing much better so that made me happy because again if if you're gonna tell me sue died then i might turn it off i don't want to watch anymore exactly and we hear from several different sources that pat's an amazing just just an amazing human being and even his neighbors kind of at the end are commenting on how how lovely he is because his wife had been so ill and he took care of her and we see we just don't hear those stories very much if you're on TikTok at all it's all like a lady got a hangnail and her husband was like well I can't bear to take care of you this is not what I signed up for I'm leaving <laughs> and she's like the fuck yeah that's not the case with Pat no so props yeah. to Pat for being uh, an actual human being that was nice absolutely this is where Adam comes in right so Sam's talking to his mom like oh we're gonna start us up again and she's like well you should probably talk to your cousin Adam and he's a real filmmaker and Sam's like who the fuck is Adam? I don't know this cat. I've never even heard of him. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Distant cousin. I don't know. We don't ever find out. But yeah, Adam's got some filmmaking. Um, I just think it's also funny that his mom was like, he's a real filmmaker, not like a weird feet fetish video maker <laughs> like, like like you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's so funny. Like out of nowhere, there's his cousin. But um, he was pretty to see. I liked I liked when he was on screen because he's aesthetically yeah. pleasing. So I'm like, if you could right. just front of the camera, sir, that'd be great. <laughs> if you could take a um, kind of a page out of the 
our friends, uh, Small Town Monsters, mm -hmm. where they're now in front of the camera, I wouldn't hate it. So Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Just note for the future. <laughs> <laughs> but he's on board. He's on board. They're going to go and... Uh, what they have to do now is figure out this is this is a new age of telemarketing, right? So how has telemarketing changed since they were in it before? Um, at one point, there seems to be a blend like old school um, telemarketers and then new robocalling. So it's AI based um, and they do kind of help you understand because they get calls from people that they used to know, but they know it's a bot. It's a call bot. And so you find out that they at one point had taken people into a quiet room, like a sound room and recorded them like reading all these scripts. And then, you know, so the benefit of that for the company is they don't have to pay a robot voice. They just get to like, again, tap into all that money, money. It's but uh, I was genius. Yeah. curious. Yeah, I was really curious and I'm glad they broke it down that way because I'm like, how can you recognize this voice and understand it's a robot? And I'm like, okay, now I get it. Right, because the person that called, they're like, he's been dead for a year. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he's really dedicated. Yeah, I mean, God damn, you would think at death you could at least not go to work. But <laughs> yeah, that's because I was the same way. I'm like, how do you know that's this person? And then they're like, oh, oh he's no longer with us. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. So now that they're back, they're back in it, they're going to go talk to David Fledeck again. I mean, because originally they couldn't. Pat disappeared. There was a whole thing. But he's still willing to talk to them. Pat said he'll never miss another interview. He is in it for the long haul now. Well, I mean, he's got duds. Like, you wouldn't believe. He looks styling. Dapper. He looks dapper. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a dapper damn man. <laughs> so some of the questions... Why wasn't the FOP held accountable? He's like, well, they didn't pay anything, right? And I'm like, well, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, for someone who says that this was a big pet project of theirs, like he was very motivated to go after CDG and he was somewhat successful. I found this interview very non-committal. <laughs> yes. Like, Stop it. Yes, it was... I mean, even Sam was like, if you look at these emails, clearly they're complicit. And he's like, well, in some cases they knew. That's the uppers. But the most, most of the people who are part of the fundraising had no idea. Ugh. And when he examined and stuff, well, I guess that's not true because they did go back and find a lot of the evidence mm -hmm. in the His, court documentation. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to let him off the hook, but no, mm -hmm. no, I forgot. Yeah. And then they talk about, so now the telemarketing has moved to PACs for fundraising mm -hmm. as opposed to just charitable. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother ballpark. And he's like, what about this? And he's like, well, Congress will have to do something about that because the FTC cannot. And I don't know where that line is. Right. And it sounds like he didn't fucking know either, which I find like, I mean, I know you're a former mm -hmm. director, but it's just, it's frustrating because I think they have the kind of evidence you can't really refute, but the police are unions are powerful mm -hmm. and scary and nobody wants to go against them, which I think is really unfortunate. I mean, like nobody should be able to be above the law, even right. if you are the law. Yeah. So, well, they realize they're a little bit over their head. So they reach out to one Sarah Kleiner, who's investigative reporter. 
she's been writing about fundraising scams for a long time and trying to get stuff done. So they contact her and they show her the videos they have from CDG from early on. And she's like super excited. She's like, I've got all these numbers and data, but you've got all the stories that go with it Mm -hmm. to show how it works. Yeah. She's definitely met with some resistance along the way. So I was really glad that these two found each other. Three. Yeah. 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 She said one police organization paid $7.5 million in 2020 to a third party for telemarketers. And as an, um, an aside, they paid like 17 grand to in grants for groups and about 15 grand in grants for individuals. So this whole spiel about we're helping people, they paid $15,000, but they paid seven and a half million just to raise money. Right. Which is a big discrepancy and makes you wonder where that money went. And how much more money are they making that they can justify Mm -hmm. spending seven and a half million. Right. Um, she does discuss being chased out of the office of a guy named Robert Zetlin because she was asking questions. He has, uh, he's the owner of a lot of the telemarketing companies. So she has some audio. There might be video, but we just heard the audio specifically. Um, And it's almost like as soon as the questions out of her mouth, he's like, I'm going to call the police on you. I'm going to call the police on you. And then she's like leaving and he's like running after her like sort of breathlessly threatening her. It was so weird to hear that. Slightly terrifying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But they're kind of, so they're just not sure where they can go with it. Right. She's done a lot of work. They've done a lot of work, but they don't know what else they can do. So Pat decides he's going to get a job back in telemarketing. How long did it take him to get that job, Aaron? Like five minutes. Five Uh, minutes. It really didn't seem. Yeah. It, (laughs) They, they contacted a former CDG manager that they knew. And again, Pat's known for big sales. And I think he's just the kind of person that they were hoping to hear from. And so with Matt's um, kind of going out on a limb for Pat, he gets snapped up. So, yeah. And he, he sets up. He starts calling. And... You know, at the beginning, it doesn't seem to go well. People are hanging up. People are cussing him out. One woman was practically dying on the phone. <laughs> but it gets better, and he starts closing in. What's interesting to me is he asks, what's my competition? So he's asking, like, a manager or supervisor, who's my competition? Who do I need to be in sales? And who who does it need to be? Oh, it's terrifying Tom. <laughs> the murderer. Yeah. And I'm like, well he's probably got a pretty good sales pitch, like donate or I'll kill you. So, and it's believable. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Pat was doing well enough. They put him onto packs. So he starts asking questions because they're doing the training for him to move over to the packs and they record all of it. And apparently the difference is you're not required to disclose any percentages of money going to the cause. You don't have to disclose that you're a paid caller. There are a lot less rules involved because it's not considered charitable. So the regulations are just not there at all. Right. Which is funny to think about. We initially talked about the charities didn't have a ton of regulation to begin with. And now for this, it's even less. So I'm like, so you just have to have a phone. That's it. I mean, it's just really funny to hear them talk about, about Mm -hmm. it. So 
Right. Nate. Sarah gets them in touch with Anne. Where I have her name somewhere. Ravel. Ravel. Yeah. Thank you. Sarah gets them in touch mm-hmm. with Anne Ravel. Um, Federal Election Commission. She was commissioner and vice chair. She had spent years trying to take down scam packs, and he does get to go interview her. She seems lovely. She gives him a hug. Is really excited about what he's doing. Gives him credit for the work he's doing. Calls him a whistleblower, which he just loved that, and I thought it was so 100%. cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she wants to try to get him in contact with other people on the Hill. So, and honestly, of all the people of power that they talk to, she seems like she's the one that gives a shit about it the most. Um, yeah. Obviously she has a special place in her heart for mm-hmm. <laughs> telemarketing scams. She hates them with a passion of a thousand sons. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah. Ditto, madam. Mm. But even though she doesn't really have any power here to affect change, she seems to be the one that's most invested. And I, I dug that about her. While they wait to hear back from the Hill, as it were, uh, they start calling around other state FOPs. They're just trying to get interviews and trying to get more information and trying not to let everything come to a screeching halt. Everyone pretty much ignores them or rejects them other than Florida. So they're going to go down to Florida and they're going to interview them. Now they get to the airport and this is near and dear to my heart, guys, because Pat had never been on a plane. And so he had a full-blown panic attack. Like he was freaking out a little bit. I'm sure his heart felt like it was going to explode. I felt so bad because I've been on planes millions of times and I've had panic attacks still. So I cannot even imagine. Right. They do end up going. They just drive, which sounds like a hell. I couldn't. Well, I love that Sam wasn't like, all right, well, we'll just go and do it and we'll tell you how it goes. They made it work. They drove down there so he could be part of it. And that made me happy to see. And let's also call out Sue at this point, because she gives Pat her utmost of blessings to go and have some fun and work on this thing he wanted to do. And it is adorable to see them I know. like rapping about it. Yeah. That she was supportive of him in that way. It was really neat. So I know I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they stop at the side of the road and he's throwing marshmallows at alligators, which I thought, Oh, uh, the fishing game wardens would, fucking have you arrested for that shit if they saw you they don't joke around (laughs) right um much to sam's annoyance because he's like can you fuckers please get back in the car like we gotta go it's a tight schedule as it were so it's funny to hear that but they do see a lot of of the decals that they are well aware of and kind of understand how those come about and cars on the road are plastered with them it's really funny to see all of them as people are like, look, I donated, I donated, okay. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Right, and once they get down there, or they're near there, they get a call from the chick that said they do an interview. She's like, well, I haven't gotten permission yet, so I can't do it. And Pat's pissed. He's like, I'm fucking going. I am walking in there, getting an interview. He does not, guys. He gets turned away fairly promptly. <laughs> right, they do show up. They go in the office, which I was like, it seems so sketch, because it's like a, <laughs> they walk in the lobby, and it's like a, a card table and a couple guys yeah. sitting there with a laptop. It's, I mean, it looks like a fly-by-night place. Um, mm-hmm. But he gets yeah turned away aggressively and quickly. So host haste. Yeah. 
they decided to try to go talk to uh, the IUPA, which is another group that Sarah had tried to get contacted with or had been dealing with. It's another police organization and they are nearby. So like, we'll just drive there and go. This is the one time that I was like, oh, Pat, I'm disappointed in you. So they push on the button and they're like, hey, we were, you know, doing a documentary. We'd like to talk to so-and-so. It's this woman. She's lovely. She's like, "Um, I'm really sorry you drove so far. We can't make any comments to the press. Um, I appreciate your efforts. However, whatever. And, And it was done. So then he presses the button again. And a man comes on and is like, listen, we can't talk to you. You need to go. He's like, okay. And he leaves. And I'm like, so a woman says it and you don't agree. But the minute a man says it, you're ready to go. Pat. I'm sure that wasn't it at all, but that's how it read. Well, they have dealt throughout this with possibly paranoia, possibly a realistic fear that they've been followed or the police are hip to them and kind of intimidating and whether true or not we don't know but I know that they had fear of retaliation for the questions that they were asking so I don't know if that was part of the driver I not considered the sexist but I appreciate that you did um, <laughs> I don't think he's sexist it just and I don't think that oh, was it, it just came that way with like he was like well I'm just gonna do it again and then right. the man said no and he left so right whatever this is when there's a story in Texas that's breaking. Apparently there was a ton of mishandled money spent on vacations and personal expenses. The head of the Houston Metro FOP was under investigation for it. And my favorite part is not only was he taking from the FOP, but he was also in charge or owned the fundraising company that was calling to raise money for the FOP. He was also taking money from. So he just got the money from everybody. It was all his all right. the way around. Kind of a poster child for the scam in the scam. <laughs> right. It was really funny. So they decide that they're going to travel to Texas to try to get this guy to talk to them because he's sort of fallen out of favor. So it seems to me that might be a good time to get somebody to talk to you when they're pissed off at the world or whatnot. So yes and no. The only ramifications were he were, he was kicked out of the FOP, but he kept his job as a police officer, and he also kept the company that was doing the fundraising. So that wasn't even a slap on the wrist. That was a, if you could possibly leave, that'd be lovely, thanks. It, <laughs> right. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, I will say that they do find him while they're enjoying a lovely barbecue meal outside of- <laughs> where he's at and pat chases him down the street (laughs) uh, which reminded me of david farrier which you know i love and uh tries to get him to talk it's not it's not the best uh presentation what i if that if he had his choice i'm sure he wouldn't have done it like that but that's their opportunity so this guy peels out on them uh but thankfully a nice thing happens something falls in their favor and that's the story of this man goes national. And that's when some of the other heads of FOPs start calling and saying, yeah, we'll talk to you. We're ready to talk. And what was your perspective on why were they like, well, we don't want to be associated with this problem. Like we're going to come forward and yeah, you know, okay. Clear our good name or whatnot. I don't know. That's what I thought is what it sounded like. Like, listen, we don't want to be lumped together. 
with these, you know, bad apples. So what I thought was the most interesting is that like we can all meet and talk. You can interview us at the upcoming national FOP convention where all the cops in the entire country were. So that would have been the best time to rob a bank, in my opinion. I agree. In Philadelphia. Sounds like a great time. Mm. Mm. Didn't see any women there, though, did you? Not a single one. No, no, I didn't. Because they had the better sense than to go. So they do score an interview with a guy named Tom Hayes, who's the Texas FOP vice president. So this is the state level. Tom says they've stopped their telephone solicitation because it's a dirty business and they can't be in a dirty business. No, cops Mm -hmm. cannot be associated with that kind of thing. So it's reinforced at this point that the national level FOP does not do this kind of fundraising. Mm -hmm. And the local level, there's some discussion about them getting incentives for working with different telemarketers. But of course, Tom doesn't know anything about that either. No, no. He's in contact with all these people. But he knows nothing. So, mm-hmm. 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 but they do get him to agree to take them on a little tour of the convention. How's that go? How would you uh, how would you categorize that? They made it to about the entrance of the convention hall, and then they were like, "You can't take a camera passes." I've never seen so many men who look like they beat their wives in my life in one place. It was amazing. Talk about a diversity vacuum. That would be. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like, there were all kinds of bald white men. I mean, yes. everywhere. Yes. And not like the hot, virile kind. Not like the <laughs> Bruce Willis kind. Not my boyfriend, Dave Batista. Nope. He yes, wasn't there. that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's no. what I'm hoping it looked like. But it was, Mm-mm. it was very sad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was not good representation at all. <laughs> Or was it good representation? Wilson agrees. Yes. At least they were honest. Indeed. So when they get back to the room, because they're like, we can't go farther. So they go back to the room. Then there's a knock on the door and they're like, oh my God, it's security. Like they're all hiding and kind of quiet because they're like, we're going to get kicked out. So like, okay. The other interviews had canceled at this point. South Carolina and Arizona had canceled the interviews after they saw them with Texas. And so they're packing up. They're like, we're just going to leave. This is now my second favorite part of the documentary because they're in the lobby and they see the now head of the National Fraternal Order of Police. And Pat's like, I'm just going to walk up to him. I'm just going to do it. I got to talk to this cat. So he walks up to him and he's like, Mr. Yates. And he's like, nope. (laughs) And he's like, sir. And he's like, I am not Mr. Yates. He's like, but I'm talking to you now. He gets cock blocked the guy gets away and then they get outside and they're like, he's like, he said he wasn't even Mr. Yates. And they're like, that's not his name. (laughs) It's like Mr. Yotes or something. Yes. (laughs) It, it was awesome. Pat feels terrible about it, which is not awesome. The execution. He's like, ah, fuck. (laughs) He was so passionate. I love that so much. (laughs) Mr. Yates. (laughs) Plausible deniability. The guy's like, I don't know a Yates. Wrong person. No, that's not me. Yeah. (laughs) But they do want to talk to him because he used to be kind of the 
I don't know if he's the president of the state level FOP for Louisiana, who did for sure hire the telemarketing companies to do some work for them. Like they have documentation that he did that. So they're like, interest, because of course the national level has always maintained that they were not using those companies Mm -hmm. to do fundraising. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, but they don't get to talk to Mr. Yates or Mr. Yost. So (laughs) (laughs) we have to leave it with that, man. I love it. God, it was so funny. They decide to try to talk to some of the cats that they feel like were also scammed. So they're talking to the wrong police officers, right? Instead of talking to the people on the level that are doing the fundraising, why don't we try to talk to the people who they're using to get the money, but are not receiving any of that money. Right. So they talked to Mike Byrne. Mm-hmm. He was shot in the line of duty. He said after he was shot, the FOP gave him a medal. Telemarketers got their money. The owners got their money. The FOP got their money. He got a medal. That was it. Right. He also says it's very unusual for people to speak out against the police. So, they were right on the money when they went to talk to him because he's disillusioned is probably a nice way to say it. But um, he was like, yeah, if you're injured, it sounds great in those first few weeks or whatever, but then you're basically shunned. Um, They have no more need for you. Uh, So that was really tough. So, cause I think that he, I mean, obviously recovering physically is one thing recovering, recovering mentally is another. And this probably didn't help that his, brothers up and vanished on him. There was also a class action suit on behalf of 400 disabled police officers. And the judge ruled the telemarketers were the ones telling the people on their own that the FOP didn't know that the telemarketers were saying that a hundred percent of these funds were going towards fallen officers and blah, blah, blah. Um, The FOP were also victims. How could you possibly Right. So somehow they were able to maintain plausible deniability about what the telemarketers were telling people. They can't be held accountable, Aaron, for that. No. So I think the best part of this is Pat is now a man on fire. He is angry that Mike Byrne was done dirty. Gotta help the little guy. That's right. Right. That's right. So now they're taking it back to D.C., and got them uh, sit down with Senator Richard Blumenthal, who, in my opinion, looks a bit like Crispin Glover, but just not as cool. <laughs> I don't think his expression changed at any time Mm-mm. when he was on camera. Mm-mm. It's very uh, practiced. I don't know. Is a better way to say that. So he is noted as being a thorn in the side of CDG throughout time. Like, so he should be. He's thought to be a guy who's going to take action with this, like a fellow in the trenches here, right? Somebody mm-hmm. that's going to fight for this. Yes, but he doesn't. <laughs> um, the only good thing that came out of this was seeing how Pat has evolved as an interviewer. He's come a long way and he's really on it. with This interview, he is on it. And so well I also her. said, yeah. yeah, he laid out a really good case. Mm-hmm. And the senator could not have blown him off any harder. Oh, no. And it's the best part is he's like, oh, you totally have to just give this information to my staffers. They'll go through it and then we'll take it to Congress if we need to, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, when are we going to talk to them? He's like, oh, they're right here. You can talk to them right after. So they walk out 
And the staffers come back. They're like, you need to pack up and leave. He's like, oh, well, you were supposed to come get the stuff. He's like, oh, we just don't have time today. Right. And that's it. That's the last they heard of him. Well, the senator was also like, well, the FTC has to take action here. Like, this is really in their realm. Mm-hmm. And Pat's like, but we already talked to them. Like, yeah. we've really talked to several people who have always been... I mean, the standard answer here is that's not my job. Yeah. It's like, that's not problem. me. I don't know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So despite the fact that FTC says it's going to have to be congressionally, it's going to have to be a congressional issue. They're going to have to change some laws because at this time there's not really enforcement um, available for the people who do want to go after folks. And Blumenthal could not get out of the room fast enough. He was like, well, you know, if action needs to be taken, we'll totally take it. We'll totally take it. But yeah, it was extremely disappointing to to see that. Yep. Yeah. And like I said, they tried to follow up with him later. He never responded. Sarah talks to them a few months later and she's like, I think we've both done as much as we can. Right. So the only thing to do moving forward was to get the documentary out there to let people see it, to let people know. And I would be really interested to understand how this documentary might have changed how people donate. I will for certain be talking about this when I go to Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Yes. I don't know anyone who donates to those anymore. I I have in the past. Mm -hmm. And then you learn that you, like I said, you donate one time and every single other fucking organization in the world calls you. And that pissed me off so much that I never donated again. So (laughs) I'm out 35 bucks total, I think. So, yeah. So I got a call the other day. Mm Mm-hmm. And I could tell it was a telemarketer. I don't know what the, the guy was like getting into a spiel about, how are you doing today? And how's the weather and whatever. And I could hear the background noise. It sounded like, you know, similar to what we had heard in the documentary. And I just hung up. I was like, absolutely not click because I thought universe, thank you for this reinforcement <laughs> of the information right. that I'm receiving right now. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's fantastic to think that, this is as successful as it is. Right. And there's no point in talking back to them because they're mostly automated now. So it's not a person you're arguing with. It's a computer and they don't give a fuck what you have to say. So it's, it's not worth it. You just hang up, block the number, block the number. Yeah. Uh, there are some apps like RoboKiller, which is really good. They'll, they'll cut them okay. all down pretty quickly. But uh, uh, I hate them so much. So kind of to wrap this up, Sam and Pat were able to accomplish their goal of shedding light on this, to bring attention to the fact that this is a scam. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, what we find out is nobody at the top gives a fuck anyway, because they're not affected by these things. You know, I'm like, I, I have such a sweet baby heart and I'm like, but you're constituents. And there's no, there's no time for that talk. Well, and why, why would they care if, they're involved with any PACs that are doing the fundraising. They're getting money from that. So it benefits yeah. them, even though a lot of those are scams, the scam PACs, but it doesn't matter if they're making money off of whatever they're doing. Right. And there were lobbyist contributions kind mm-hmm. of minimally discussed and that's not really who they were going to. Yeah. I could guess, but nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it was a bit anticlimactic. But I think what I'd like to do is follow up on Pat and Sam and see how they're doing and, I don't know, join the fight to educate people about 
telemarketing and that it's not worth your time and effort. In fact, it's harmful. So, yeah. And they're, and the only people making money now are the people at the top, because if they're not even hiring people to do the calls anymore, you don't even have people that you're employing that, you know, right. at least, at least for a period of time, I felt like they were doing a little bit of good hiring people who couldn't mm-hmm. get jobs otherwise so they could support themselves. And now they didn't even, they don't even have that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've done our part in bringing this issue to our fans. Oh, our tens of fans are going to be all over this shit. <laughs> we love you, everyone. So We do. Let's talk honorary errands. Okay. My honorary errand this week is Pat um, because I loved everything about him. I love his eccentricities. I love that he was flawed. I loved his relationship with his wife. And he was just delightful to watch. And at points he had a serious quaff. It was... Mm-hmm. Hollywood worthy Mm. Mm. and his duds man I mean he he was dapper and he put that hat on he got him a cowboy hat Mm. chef's kiss I do think it's funny at that point that they were like how is this hat $400 (laughs) and then they had to put it back and get like a budget hat I don't know so (laughs) stuff it loves on the way back you can find one for cheaper (laughs) yes and you? Okay. So I chose Adam, the cousin, the filmmaker, the, the man one. behind the camera, <laughs> making it all look so good because if it had not looked good, it's unlikely that it would have gotten as far as it did. So it was good camera work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he lent some good skills to that. And I can definitely identify with being behind the scenes, trying mm-hmm. to make it look good and work smooth for other people. So. Yep. I get mm-hmm. that. Two AA Rons for the week. <laughs> That's true. That's right. Oh. All right. This is a long one, guys. I appreciate you sticking with us. But it was worth it. It was a really good documentary. It was a really quick watch. And it's a little frustrating. But that's not their fault that our system is fucked. <laughs> it's capitalism at its finest. Right. And this one had some buzz, right? We heard about this one from several different places. Like, Ooh, have you guys done this one yet? Is this one mm-hmm. on your list? And it was difficult because it's a little longer than mm-hmm. we normally try to tackle just because we have like lives and kids and shit. But I'm really glad that I did it. And I also will recommend to the people that I know who are into documentaries. So we'll mm-hmm. perpetuate this yes. little cycle here. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll pass it on. Okay. Well, we're getting to the end of the year, guys. And unfortunately, um, I have to travel for work out of the country for a couple of weeks. So there's going to be a week. I think we really only will miss a week or so. But for next week, we're going to do one that's a little bit shorter. So we have time to do it and then get it out. And then and then we'll do our last one for the year in theory. With that said, what are we doing next week? The title you're looking for is Rocket on the Roof. The Rocket on the Roof. It's available on YouTube. We spent 10 minutes trying to find it before we started recording today. So it is there. It is pretty short, running about 14 minutes. So, but I think, I think it's going to be pretty awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? You know what? I don't even know what it's about other than there was a rocket on a roof and people start questioning in it and then they start like conspiracy theorying it. And then it just, mm-hmm. it just breaks apart from there. Like it spirals is my understanding. So it seems 
the, the right kind of weird for me. Right. And it looks like a military rocket, right? Not mm-hmm. like some shit you built. Um, Jimmy Neutron. In the like backyard. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, although I suppose it could have been. Um, but not like a kid's toy. This is like a serious situation. So right. um, I love the people out there that are like, what is that? Those are my people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll do something short and sweet and uh, we'll try to try to keep it steady. I apologize. I can't record while I'm gone. Listen, it'll be 13 hour time difference. Neither one of us want to deal with that. <laughs> it's too much. We can't get it right when we're in the same place. Shit. No, when we're up the road okay. from one another. So, <laughs> um, but we're glad you joined us this week and mm-hmm. we will talk to you next week, guys. All right. Laters. Bye. Bye.